0: Should I do the whole podcast in my riot voice?
1: Yes! Ah, ah no!
2: Yes! <laughs> oh, my
1: no. God. yes! <laughs> no. I forgot you had a riot voice! Hey there, it. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is the Gem Jam, where we do an episode-by-episode recap of the 1980s cartoon Gem and the Holograms, because it is truly outrageous. Today we are actually not covering an episode or a comic. Today we are going to be doing a sort of primer, an introduction, if you will, to the Gem universe. So those of you who want to jump in right at the beginning of season two can jump right in without feeling like you're losing any of the subtle and well-done character development very intricate world building. To help us explain that, we have our guest star and our internet friend Chris Sims is here with us today. How's it going, Chris?
0: Hi, I am I am here to make some mischief because winning is everything and I'm okay.
1: We figured we will start off with a bit of an overview of the series, then we'll go into characters, any episodes that pertain to those characters, and then we'll top it up by trying to give you a preview of things yet to come with some of the amazing episodes that are in store for you in season two and a little bit of season three. Let's start. Gem and the Holograms is based on a doll line that uh, that Hasbro wanted to make as a direct competitor to Barbie and Mattel in the 80s. Uh, they came out with it. They wanted to have a cartoon to go along with their toy, as is the trend in the 80s with He-Man and everything. So they approached Christy Marks, who had been working on G.I. Joe for quite some time, to make a gigantic soap opera with glam rock. And she said yes. Because that's all you can say when you're given that opportunity. Absolutely. And what she created was a show about Jerica Benton and her sister Kimber and her foster sisters, Aja Laith and Shayna Elmsford. Together, the four of them, they don't really fight crime, but they sort of hang around and then they're also in a band. Jerica can use holograms dubiously, dubiously, uh, in order to turn into the mysterious glam rocker Jem. No one knows who she is. Except for anyone who can put together that these people are always around at the same time.
0: Because there's no reason for her secret identity. No reason at all. There is no reason for her to keep her identity a secret at all.
1: At at the end of season one, Chrissy Marks tried to give a reason being that Rio is apparently a manipulative jagoff who hates liars and deceivers. And also, halfway through the season, they were like, "Oh, also, the holograms falling into the wrong hands would be like super bad. So maybe we should keep it a secret. Something, something, something."
0: That part makes sense because, as as we see over the course of the show, Synergy is all powerful.
1: Right? They they get their holograms from this uh, AI computer keyboard multimedia thing called Synergy, who is a uh, who has a physical representation of a purple lady in Jazzer size outfits. Uh, with amazing shoulder pads because it's the 80s. And Synergy apparently can do absolutely anything.
0: She is a sentient being with,
1: has access
0: to the internet before the internet exists. (laughs) She has access to like the 2015 internet. Like, hey, Synergy, make a dinosaur appear. Make some sharks appear. Scan in these fashion designs.
1: Get a credit card receipt from some surf shop. A high level of
0: technology. And as we find out in the third season, not to get too far ahead, but this is a world where there are actual supervillains. There is an indication that this is part of the uh, Hasbro universe, uh, which is linked by a minor character who appears on all four Hasbro toy cartoons of the 80s, who is Hector Ramirez. So Gem takes place in the same universe as G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Inhumanoids. So obviously, if Cobra Commander got a hold of Synergy, then it's all over.
1: Cobra Commander could put on the best glam rock shows of all time.
0: Imagine if Cold Slither had had the power of, of Synergy behind them. The Joes would have never been able to stop them.
1: So keeping all that in mind, uh, instead of giant robots or terrorist organizations with really fun themes and a terror dome, we instead have the holograms being menaced by the Misfits, which is their rival band led by their manager, Eric Raymond, who may or may not be a time lord. We're still kind of working on that. The Misfits, their songs are better.
0: I'm glad you said it, because I've been trying not to.
1: Are you kidding? We embrace the catchphrases here. Misfit songs are better, they're gonna get her, and that's pretty much their entire motivation. They want to get the holograms. With the note that Pizzazz also wants to be an American god. Pizzazz is already rich, but she wants people to worship her. She wants to be glam rock goddess of the universe, which I feel is a noble aspiration.
0: This show is at its heart... About two rich women who have, like, real problems with their fathers, like, trying to uh, outdo each other. Like, that is what the show is.
1: Oh, and there's usually two to three musical numbers per episode, and these are glam rock numbers. And they're always either incredible or the sleepiest thing ever. There's no middle ground. Every once in a while, we'll come across something and say this is our favorite song ever, and, and our adulation is fickle at best.
2: Misfits in Hawaii. No!
1: Guys, come on, we had this argument.
2: The episode where the
0: Misfits go to Hawaii and write a song called Misfits in Hawaii with the lyrics, Misfits in Hawaii, it's it's a high point of not just the show, but of art, of music. It is. <laughs> oh,
1: no. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. No, we can't do this right now, you guys. Ugh! We can't do this again. It <laughs> is
0: the by far laziest song. They rhyme sarong so with so wrong. But it is also, it is also like one of the best because it really does feel like they wrote it in 10 minutes after a very disappointing day in Hawaii. I love it. I'm a fan of Winning is Everything and Making Mischief, but less because of the songs as they appear in the show, and more because those are used as incidental music.
1: Okay, I absolutely love in this show, like, the the songs used as incidental music that are just, like, lead-ins for, like, establishing shots. It's some of my favorite music in the entire show.
0: I want the incidental music from Jem so badly, if anyone knows where I can get it. Somebody go into the Hasbro, Sunbow, Marvel Entertainment archives and pull out those master tapes of Jem and the Hologram's incidental music for me, please.
1: Those would be every ringtone, alert notice, anything on my phone and all of my devices forever. So let's go into the characters. Jerrica Benton slash Jem.
2: Jerrica is blonde, she tends to wear like teal and pinkish outfits, and she's supposed to be like down to business, a manager of the band, also running her own company. She runs
1: Starlight Music, which is the company, the entire record company that their dad left her in his will. They have the hologram signed and also Demon Triplet Jedward, and that's it. Which we only find out in like episode 26, we find out that there is another band on this record label at all. This is a world in which you have two big companies that are some of the most powerful music giants in the world, and each company only has one band signed. Though to be fair, you need that many people to manage the Misfits.
0: I really think you guys are bearing the lead here about Jim. Because she is a uh, multi-platinum recording artist, an Academy Award-nominated actress, and the winner of the Indy 500.
2: Also a winner of a bunch of celebrity athletics matches. And the only time she came in second place were to people who broke the Guinness World Records. They got it by cheating, and even then she didn't lose by much.
1: Yeah, Stormer had to wear rocket shoes. We're not really sure how Jem is able to do all of this. She is a persona entirely created by a hologram running from her hologram projector earrings which are blatantly disregarded for most of the show by most of the writers. They can't seem to agree whether it's hard light holograms or what. The Story Bible says they are not hard light. In fact, Christy Mark says in the Story Bible a lot like, look, limiting the power these things have makes things a lot more interesting. But you know what? Instead, how about we just have holograms able to create an entire rain weather phenomenon? The holograms are
0: very limited though, because they can turn you into a surfboard, but they can't turn you invisible, which you would think would be more convenient for the purposes of anything you would need to turn into a surfboard
1: to do. It's worth noting that aside from like the gem hologram, most of these are interpreted by Synergy, whom we'll sort of get to a little later in in more detail. Gem or Jericho will usually say, Synergy, I need a distraction, and... Synergy will do something horrifying. Horrifying Synergy is horrifying. Like the weird guitar twist in Jim Jam.
0: Synergy makes a lot of decisions on her own.
1: Synergy makes her own creative decisions and it shows.
0: Emmett, Emmett, right? Is that her father, Emmett Benton? He is the modern Prometheus because he is creating life from what essentially looks like a pipe organ and a bedazzler.
2: And not only that, but spoiler alert, he gives this this life that he creates from a pipe organ. His wife's personality? This is not touched upon in the show and the slightest.
1: No, nobody thinks it's weird. Uh, what else can we say about Jem?
0: She collects orphans?
1: She does. Jerica slash Jem runs a foster house called Starlight House, which eventually just gets lumped into the Starlight Mansion that she wins by being good at rock music. And all of the orphans just sort of get dumped into them. Those are the Starlight Girls. We will get into those as ancillary characters for the holograms.
0: She has apparently instituted a system uh, by which the orphans are made to toil to earn money that is then placed in a jar as a tribute to their pink-haired mistress.
1: Notable episodes for gems last year, cuz all of them. Yeah, it's just kind of her show. I would say that she gets some minor character development in like a couple of minutes of episode 26, which is Glitter and Gold. She gets really mad about not having a movie in uh, in episodes 6, 7, and 8. If there is an episode where they do something fun, like go to Hawaii or go skiing or whatever, Jerica's barely in it. It's all Jem doing these things.
0: Yeah, Island of Deception is a, that's a weird one for Jem and Jericho because everybody is shipwrecked on an island and they have to figure out how to (laughs) how to make the misfits not realize jim and jerica are the same person on a landmass with a total of eight people on it
1: yeah and they're also really bad at it the misfits have to point out why aren't any of you worried about jerica
0: oh
2: she was a girl scout
0: if you're looking for uh, episodes that are kind of revealing about Jem's character, I guess Glitter and Gold probably would be one, because that's the one where it's really kind of hammered that Jerrica has a lot of resentment towards Jem, which is comes back a lot in seasons two and three.
1: Is it the Gem Jam part one where she tries to tell Rio that she's Jem and instead he gets mad and kicks over a plant? No, that's Glitter and Gold. God, there is so much that happens in that episode. <laughs>
0: which was the one where she asked Synergy to make a Ryo so she can practice.
1: That's glitter and gold.
0: Because <laughs> that one's great.
1: So just like, well, I'm only the best computer in the world, but I guess I could be wrong. So that's Jerrica, our ostensible heroine. Let's go into Kimber
2: next. Kimber is Jerica's little sister. She's got bright red hair or pink hair. Yeah, it depends on who's coloring her that day. Uh, She's got a stream of boyfriends. Yeah, Kimber has a rotation.
1: Kimber also plays kitar slash keyboard. Kimber is the youngest one of the group and therefore she is the one that oftentimes when there are crises the writers make her the most emotionally accessible to the younger viewers by making her have the emotional maturity of a five-year-old. Also she has a tendency to just slip and fall into whales open mouths.
0: It's really difficult to figure out how old Kimber is supposed to be because Jerrica is young, like she's a young woman, uh, but she's also, you know, an executive of a company. She is clearly in charge of a bunch of orphans, but, but you know, a lot of those things are things she inherited from her father. So she's like old enough to be doing all those things, but young enough that she's still new to him. Kimber is kind of all over the map because everybody treats her as though she's 12, but then in one episode she almost gets married to what is clearly an adult. There's that line in uh, The band break up when they first meet at the bar, the bar that serves milkshakes. Stormer makes fun of her for being so young. She calls her Jerica's kid sister and is like, oh, you know, does your sister let you out after 4.30? And then they go on to have a passionate affair. Writing wise, it is hard to figure out like, is Kimber like 19? Is Kimber like 16? I don't know.
1: My guess is she's supposed to be at least a high school graduate, but that's the most that I think you can place her
0: she's old enough to get married but young enough to feel like oh this boy likes me we should get married immediately
1: that's a very narrow age range so let's let's go over some of Kimber's boyfriends because Kimber if there is a boy to be liked in this show he may have a crush on Jem but because Jem and Jerrica are both tied up with their boyfriend Rio Kimber is the one who gets boyfriends Shayna got introduced to another black character in, like, episode two, so they figured, well, that's that. They're soulmates. And, uh, Aja doesn't get a boyfriend until season two, and that's, like, the only guy that she's ever gonna date. And he's got
2: blue hair, so it's-
1: They're made for each other. So kimber's boyfriends oh who's the first one to get introduced jeff is the first one to get introduced i believe jeff the stuntman whose hair color changes regularly he's surprisingly a recurring character which you wouldn't think so because he was introduced entirely in the movie plot and he was a guy who seemed to know of kimber
2: yeah he knew her name
1: and this meant that she should love him
2: and then uh i think the next one is
1: sean harrison Hello. i know Kimber! Sean Harrison, besides being an obvious Beatles reference, is some British teen idol. He looks like he's 30, so we're not sure whether he's is a teen who is an idol or an idol two teens.
0: He looks at least 10 years older than Kimber and tries to get out of her weird marriage proposal so quick. Like, that dude
1: turns on a dime when Kimber's like, oh, let's get married. He's like, hang on! Sean is of a dubious allegiance to the crown. He might be English, he might be Australian, there might be a little bit of New Zealand. He's from somewhere in the Commonwealth. He's Canadian. He could be like Conrad Black, he desperately wants to be British. Uh, Sean is also notable for wearing an ascot and like acting in movies. Same sarcasm quotes around acting that there are around teen. And then there's just a bunch of miscellaneous ones like Max. Yeah, there's there's Max the photographer from episode twenty six, glittering gold. There's several shots of her flirting with like every skier at the resort when they go to Colorado in that episode. Oh wait, there was also the uh, the the swim instructor from Hawaii, and it was like, I'm with Kimber. How
2: are you? For most of these boys, it kind of seems like Kimber is just like, oh, well, it's a casual thing other than, you know, the marriage proposal. But that's that's later. And all the boys seem assured that Kimber is their one and only and she'll never date anybody else.
1: It's worth noting that in the one instance, when two of these boyfriends meet each other, Kimber has such an effect on them that they immediately start punching each other in the face. They punch each other out a window and then they keep fighting.
0: And then immediately do not marry her.
1: And unfortunately, Boyfriends is pretty much Kimber's like shtick. She doesn't have much of a character outside of it except for that time she got mistaken for a princess. We uh, we actually already did an episode about this because it was, uh, it was relevant to the comic. But in season two, Kimber almost textually gets together with Stormer from the Misfits. They have a passionate affair that does not culminate in kissing. They're gal pals.
0: To the point where everyone who is a fan of Jim just accepts it. <laughs> like, everyone who's a fan of like, all right, Kimber and Stormer are together. I seem to remember that weird love conflict being a central part of this show.
1: <laughs> yeah, to the point where they are textually together in the comics and they have a tumultuous love affair there as well. And it was one of the first things that they did in the comics and pretty much unilaterally, aside from a couple of people, it was like, yes, finally, text! Pure, unadulterated text, they kissed! lesbians canon lesbians
0: it's a thing that like i think we all kind of wanted based on this one episode and then when the comic started it's like the big emotional plot of the first arc that is the relationship that i think everyone who likes jim is really into and everyone hates jerica and rio <laughs> No one cares.
1: I think a lot of it is because people really like this idea of there being an alliance between the bands, essentially, of of like a we're not so different after all sort of thing. And then you have that concept and then you add on top of it the obvious chemistry that Kimber and Stormer have as characters. It's perfect.
0: Kimber is the most interesting of the holograms by far, I think, because she has the most character. You know, you, you mentioned that she doesn't have a lot of character, but like Shayna and Aja have nothing. Shayna likes dresses. Aja likes question mark. And Jerrica is, is so, like, the secret identity is kind of the core of her thing, but it always manifests itself in the same way. Like, she always magics her way out of problems, but she can never tell Rio, and we don't really get much more. But Kimber, because she's characterized as being so lovestruck all the time, gets the spotlight in a lot of episodes. Kimber being, you know, kind of the most personable, I guess, of the, the holograms, makes sense with her being uh, analogous to Stormer, because Stormer is the, she's the misfit of the misfits, and she's the most interesting of the misfits and her relationship with the rest of the Misfits is the most interesting thing about the band.
1: So they combine the most compelling characters. Kimber
0: is my favorite of the holograms.
1: So Aja is the guitarist of the band. Sometimes you think she would play bass, but there is no bass in the world of the holograms.
2: Aja is a tomboy a little? She's she's meant to be per the show
1: bible. I hear the word gearhead thrown around sometimes when describing Aja, but eh. Aja was always the one who drove the car for the first handful of episodes. In, in Christy Marks' directed and written episodes, Aja has something of a personality. Uh, she's usually the one that makes a dry comment at someone's expense, or she got to, like, judo kick a guy that one time. Most notably, if there is a problem and everyone else is running around and screaming, Aja is usually the one who runs up and fixes it. To the point where there is an episode where all the holograms are about to die on a ski mountain and Aja rescues all of them, including herself. Aja is the most capable character on this show. It's true, though, that I'm not really sure what her interests are. I like to imagine that Aja actually has this, like, rich inner life, but nobody ever asks her about it, so she never talks about it. She's got a whole other circle of friends and she's constantly complaining about hologram shenanigans, too. Like, walks into the bar, slams a drink down, and goes, you have no idea what I've been through this week. Notable Aja episodes, there are not really any At least not in the first season. She has a major plot in season two. In uh, in the first two episodes, Uh, she has a she has a plot with a boyfriend named Craig, who is incidentally in the comic right now. In season one, the closest we get to an Aja focused episode is that time she leads jazzercise, and that time everybody goes to China. That episode where
0: they go to China is. It's not my fave, except for Welcome Misfats, which might be my favorite joke in the whole series.
1: Despite the fact that we don't have much to say about Aja here, she is basically everyone's favorite character because she is the only one solving problems. I feel like that tapers off in season two. Well,
0: a lot of stuff tapers off in season two. The Misfits do not commit nearly as many felonies in season two, which was very disappointing for me the first time I watched it. I, I feel like Aja was, you know, she's meant to be the mechanic, you know, like, If you read her Wikipedia entry, it talks about her being a tomboy and being a gearhead and being a mechanic and tinkering with things and developing a friendship with Rio. And none of that stuff happens. Like, none of that stuff happens. There's an episode where they race in the Indy 500.
2: And it's not Aja who does the racing or the building or the fixing of the car, despite the fact that that's supposed to be all her thing.
0: They have a spotlight for her, if that is to be an element of her character. And she's just there outside of the relationship with Craig, uh, where she slaps stormer in the face there is not much to her unfortunately
1: aja is very much a, a lot of wasted potential her comic version is much better most of these entries are going to end and you should read the comic well, let's move on to shayna then shayna plays drums coming up in season two she's actually going to play guitar as well for like the rest of the show because this band needs more guitars shayna is the shy one the demure one Except when she gets mad and then she's incredible. Yeah, when when Shayna gets mad, she will reach down your throat and pull you inside out. It's great. Uh, Shayna also has a thing where every time they need a character who is into fashion, Shayna is that character. Apparently the cover story for the hologram stuff is that Shayna designs the hologram's wardrobe.
0: Uh, Shayna also has uh, Dilbert hair. She has the hair of a Dilbert supporting character. It's very unfortunate. It's lilac and it is a triangle. My favorite part is when she will wear a hat on top of her hair. Like, she will just perch a hat on one of the points of the triangle. Oh, it's tragic. Thank God for Sophie Campbell.
1: Shayna's hair in the comic is always
2: incredible. It is so cute.
1: If you want to, like, see Shayna in action, I I think the only episode in season one that we can reasonably point to is going to be, um... In Stitches, the episode where they go to Venice for a fashion competition. A
0: lot of competitions in this show. I have never heard of as many, like, I've never heard of a real band doing as many competitions.
1: You think considering they're popular enough to be invited to the People's Republic of China, that they would not need to participate in these kind of publicity stunts? They no longer need to be given the edge. They have it.
2: Uh, for this, though, I just kind of point to my earlier assumption that we're in just a post-apocalyptic wasteland pop music
1: Jim
0: is a multi-platinum recording artist the winner of the Indie 500 and an academy award nominated actress who has starred in at least two movies
1: intrigue at the indy 500 raises so many questions
0: it is my one go-to like if you want to know what Jim is all about watch intrigue at the indy 500 because at one point pizzazz sees a tiny version of herself that tells her to do the right thing and her only reaction is i don't have a conscience Like, she's not surprised to see a floating, tiny version of herself. You know, like we all do at a moral crossroads. Also, Eric Raymond almost gets murdered
2: by the mafia in that
1: episode. I think we've maybe covered Shayna as much as we possibly can, that poor baby.
2: So it's time for gym accessories, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start with Rio.
1: Rio freaking Pacheco. Oh, Rio. Rio is Jerica slash Jem's boyfriend, and yes, we know how weird that sounds, because he doesn't know who Jem is. He's not in on the secret. He thinks he's dating two separate women. It's a weird
0: Clark Kent Lois Lane kind of thing, except weirdly backwards. But Rio never seems bothered by it.
1: Rio is bothered for the first couple of episodes, but he—I think—the point when he actually gives up in the show can be pinpointed to the song "I've Got My Eye on You." Because during that whole freaking music video, he's like holding this picture of Jericho while Jem is singing at him in the background, and then he just sort of like gives away the photo. Like I'm giving in. I'm just gonna date them both. Rio is a sleaze. Rio is the worst. He is
0: the worst. Ryo has dubious and uh, plot-sensitive skills. He's their road manager, and also their manager? And also he fixes things, and maybe he's a
2: sound tech? Yeah, the sound tech, and also sometimes the lightboard guy, and also he's really strong and carries everything.
1: He's an engineer? Possibly qualified to fly a plane, possibly not. Rio gets his pilot's license in season two. He assumes he is eligible to drive a race car.
2: Also, his purple hair is the color he was born with. Yeah, at one point we see him with stubble and it's awful periwinkle stubble. Purple
1: is his natural hair color.
0: No one is dyeing their hair in the show. Anytime we see a flashback, like when we see a flashback to like Clash and video as kids, they have that hair. When they make the fake video about Jem as a child, which is maybe the best episode... <laughs> When they make Jericho watch a video that the Misfits had made with actors playing Jim as a child, which means they had to have a casting call for child actors to make this gaslighting video that they make. They choose to give like three-year-old Jim pink hair. Like a hair color that does not exist in nature.
1: I think the problem with Rio is that the show tries to tell us that we like Rio. Everyone likes Rio. Everyone wants to date Rio.
2: Yeah, and that Rio's supposed to be likable, and we are supposed to want boyfriends like him.
1: But Rio's a big, awful man child.
2: And I don't want a boyfriend like Rio. He hates liars, he despises deception.
1: And potted plants. Okay, look, there is a bit in episode 26 where Rio discovers that Kimber accidentally scheduled a date twice with two different guys, and he loses his crap. He yells at her, tells her, it serves you right if neither of those men ever see you again. How dare you lie to them both? You made a fool of them. He is horrible to her. And when Jerica is like, Rio, that was awful. He's like, I can't help how I feel. And then when Jerica decides she's not going to tell him she's Jem after all, he throws a tantrum and kicks over a potted plant. Rio's the worst. He's the worst character. Do not date Rio or anyone like Rio. Also, if you're going to try and date someone like Rio, try and narrow down what he does for a living. Let us know. We'd love to hear. Rio is a somewhat better character in the comics. He still gets into lots of arguments with Jerrica, but he's actually like a decent human being. And he's coming from a place that we can understand.
2: Most of his arguments with Jerrica in the comic are over how he thinks Jim is kind of a diva and isn't helping out her bandmates, because he doesn't realize that Jim is Jerica, and all he sees of Jim are anytime they're in trouble, she kind of walks off and disappears.
0: He, he's much more he's much more sympathetic because he seems to genuinely care about Jerrica and seems much more uh, resistant to the idea of also dating Jim at the same time, which cartoon Rio has no problem with and is just uh, living that Archie Andrews life, I guess.
1: As far as Rio knows, Jim and Jerica don't know that he's dating both of them. It's not like a poly thing, it's just Rio's a jerk. Rio is just the worst. Now that we've established that, who's next? We've kind of (laughs) covered this in bits and pieces previously, but Synergy is the AI that makes all of the holograms. She is also, spoilers, programmed with the personality of Jericho and Kimber's mom.
0: I wonder if (laughs) Mrs. Benton talked like Synergy. I'm so glad we had a baby, Emmett. Let's name her... Jerrica.
1: Also, Synergy is um, horrifying. Synergy's first line in the entire series is, Jerrica Benton, I have come for you. I am the glam rock specter of death. Synergy interprets the simplest of ideas to make horrific nightmares.
2: For example, in the Jim Jam part one, uh, a bunch of punks dressed as Uncle Sam break into a uh, convention center to destroy things. Don't worry about it. And Synergy, upon being told to scare some punks off, turns their guitars into amorphous beast out of Lovecraft.
1: I need some punk repellent.
2: Punk repellent is a Lovecraft monster. This is typical for her.
1: She's often given liberty to just do whatever. And so she either has some kind of twisted sense of humor or she is just a nightmare fuel robot waiting to happen. Also, you would think Synergy would be, like, a character, considering she is basically how all of these
2: amazing things happen. Yeah, and also has the personality of their mom. This does not happen. No, she's, she's not a character.
0: It's weird that they don't realize that Synergy has the personality of their mom for, like, a year and a half.
1: Because they only talk to her when they need something.
0: Well, I feel like that's probably the way they treated their mom. Ooh. That's right. I'm calling out Jim and Kimber and Shayna and Aja for being bad daughters.
1: Again, though, read the comic, Synergy has a personality. So the Starlight Girls. As mentioned before, the Starlight Girls are Jerrica's little horde of orphans. Uh, she uses them to cater all of her events. One of them even works the door, which works about as well as you would expect it to. Uh, I would say these girls range between maybe seven and 14 years old. I think the older ones are supposed to be in like early high school, late junior high or something.
0: Well, they're old enough to have jobs. Because they must render all of their money unto Jerrica in the form of a jar, which does support your post-apocalyptic theory because that is a very barter town thing to do. And they're also old enough to purchase drugs.
1: Right. There's a special drug episode coming up. I don't think there's like a, an age limit on purchasing drugs. Like, not unless your dealer's really, really nice. He's like, you're 14. No, you can't have drugs. <laughs> anyway, notable starlight girls.
0: Uh, Ashley.
1: Ashley being the most notable starlight girl with an awful tragic haircut.
0: She defects to become a misfits girl.
1: Ashley wants to be a rock star and a fashion designer. And I think also at some point in season two, a star athlete. And for a brief shining moment, Ashley wanted to be a misfit. But then she got turned back to the right side. Ashley also has a problem with the aforementioned honor jar. She owed it $30.
2: After Ashley, probably the second most popular, I'm using that term loosely, is Bonnie. Her dad has red hair.
1: She's like maybe an 8 or 10 year old Vietnamese girl. She was going to lose her eyesight forever during the movie three episode plot. She desperately needed an operation. And then they made exactly enough money to get her the operation. And after that, her plot was... I don't know who my dad is, but he has red hair, so every adult man I meet with red hair must be my dad. Bonnie is ridiculously easy to troll on the dad front as Clash finds out.
0: Hey, kid, your dad's outside.
1: Father! If you ever need Bonnie out of your way, just say your dad's waiting for you outside.
0: <laughs> Which you would think would not be a distraction technique that would work on an orphan, and yet here we
2: are.
1: You wouldn't think it would work twice.
2: But yet here we are.
1: And then I think after Bonnie is Chrissy. Chrissy is a uh, is a young African-American girl who is most well-known because she is the only starlight girl who has any sense of what is and what is not a good idea. Chrissy has a tremendous sense of practicality and is also the only one saying, No, you shouldn't run away. Okay, if you are going to run away, I'm going to go with you so you don't die. I'm going to leave a note so Jerrica knows we ran away. Oh, and also she almost drowned a young rock star. He was not Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson. There were a lot of those in that episode. Deirdre's the one with the hat. That's how you can recognize her. Uh, She tries to play guitar. That's about it. And There's an episode where she desperately wants Jerrica's attention.
0: There's Laura, who was on drugs.
1: Right, Laura's going to come up in season two. She's going to be a special character who gets addicted to drugs. Because she's alone again. Ashley... Chrissy and Bonnie each get a song in The Gem Jams Parts 1 and 2 because they were working on possibly launching those girls as dolls. Ashley gets I Can See Me, Bonnie gets A Father Should Be, and uh, Chrissy gets You May Be a Star, and then Lauren Season 2 will get Alone Again. Is that it for the Starlight Girls? There's blonde chick with headband, There's other African-American girl. There's girl with pigtails who's afraid of ghosts. Maybe there's a couple others.
0: I think it is telling that uh, Deidre, Terry, Anne, Marianne, Joellen, Becky, Nancy, those are starlight girls that are all voiced by the same person.
1: And she doesn't quite count as a starlight girl, but there's also Mrs. Bailey. Yeah, Mrs. Bailey is a woman who shows up for about five seconds in the entire show who has like two lines And she's basically there to prove that, yes, someone is taking care of these starlight girls while the entire band and therefore every adult that they know is in China. I think she has less lines than Boba Fett.
0: Lindsay, I guess, is probably more of a, a holograms affiliate than not.
1: Lindsay is our character who delivers all plot-relevant news. Like, that is that is actually what she does. She hosts a show.
0: She's the Kurt
2: Loader of the, uh, Gem universe. She makes everything come to a halt whenever her show's on.
1: She's also maybe the ancillary character with the most personality. I really like Lindsay. Yeah, and poor Lindsay. Every time she has the holograms and the misfits on her show at the same time, they wreck the place. Like one time the studio burned down. Her ratings are spectacular, though. Yeah, the ratings are great, but they've had to move three times. Dance is a dancer with hair that is worse than every other character's because it is the color of every other character's. I, you don't like Dance's I like Dance's hair. I think it's a mess. I just dislike that every time it's in the show, it takes up the budget of the rest of the episode. Dance has so many moving pieces. Sometimes she's in the show and she doesn't have any lines because they needed that money to make her hair look good.
0: I I like Dance. I do feel like Dance is notable for being the star of the episode where uh, you find out that England is still in the Middle Ages.
1: Right. Look forward to season two. They
0: go to a renaissance fair and the renaissance fair affects everything up to and including lines of succession and the police.
1: Dance also has an episode where she breaks her leg and has to go through physical therapy. It's a really obnoxious episode but also there's a blind guy that she kind of has a thing for and won't date until he gets his operation to fix his eyes. Wow. There's Anthony Julian who is notable for being a director and also Shana's boyfriend. We never get to see any part of their relationship beyond the initial like let's hang out on a yacht bit. Hey they rode unicorns in that one music video. Yeah that also happened.
0: There's video who who directs uh their videos and more notably is a holograms affiliate who is related to a misfits affiliate
1: It's very dramatic.
0: I think they do a really good job with Clash and Video.
1: Uh, Video is the most dated character in this show, by the way. She's one of the, uh, brightest young minds in videotape today. Yeah, she's always carrying around one of those huge cameras that, like, takes up your entire shoulder. We do have confirmation that Video exists in the comics, but we have not seen her yet. She's probably a YouTuber. She is a YouTube. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised she keeps the same name, Video, and she doesn't just, like, my name is YouTube. Everybody just calls me YouTube.
0: My name is uh, GoldenPalace.com Presents Video.
1: And I guess the only other gem affiliate that we can think of in season one is uh, is Howard Sands. The strange wandering millionaire.
0: You know, just has a spare house laying around.
1: He has a picture of his spare house lying around just to show off. He has men to follow him around to hold the picture of his spare house so he can show it off. He also looks
0: exactly like wrestling commentator Tony Schiavone in the mid-80s. I don't know how much crossover there is between Gem and the Holograms and uh, 80s World Championship wrestling fandom, or if that's just me. I think it's just you. <laughs> if anyone's out there, like, go check it out, because that is what Howard Sands looks like.
1: Howard Sands also seems to have some kind of affiliation with, like, movie studios. He's a movie producer, apparently. And he is known by Pizzazz's father. I think it's time to move on to the Misfits.
2: The Misfits are, uh, their songs are better. They're gonna get her. They're led by Pizzazz, who is possibly the greatest other than Riot character on this show. Pizzazz,
1: aka Phyllis Gabor. You can see why she goes by Pizzazz. All of the misfits have like stage names, Uh, none of the holograms do. Where do we start with Phyllis Gabor?
0: She's a punk, which Jerrica immediately hates. The conflict between the misfits and the holograms is entirely predicated on Jerrica being the aggressor. Eric's like, this is my new band, The Misfits! And they ride in on their giant motorcycle shaped like guitars which is awesome. And then Jerica immediately goes, this music is garbage! I will not have my label used for this garbage! Before they perform a song, she hates them. But, secretly, we find out that young Phyllis Gabor is actually rich. And much in the way that it's hard to pin down Kimber's age because she could be anywhere from like 12 to 22, Pizzazz looks like like, she's in her 40s and is constantly angry about everything.
1: The best part of this show, period, is whenever Pizzazz gets angry enough to do a pterodactyl scream. Oh, it's
0: the best! That and her Eric do-something is the best.
1: Pizzazz is absolutely spectacular and she should be the character that you watch the show for. The
0: Misfits are all inherently more interesting than the holograms which is a problem you run into with villains and a lot of things but like it is off the scale in gem because all of the misfits have internal conflict like pizzazz literally has a conflict about whether or not she's authentic enough because she's from a rich family and gets everything handed to her but she's still so angry at everything
1: the misfits these songs are actually better their songs are like 9 times out of 10 they are more interesting and more fun and they sound a bit more like a real song. And he's reserving that 1 out of 10 for Misfits in Hawaii.
0: The Misfits songs are not only better but like occasionally they will like I guess it's kind of like a battle song like uh, Click Clash is like that and the theme song is like this too. There is no storyline reason for them to ever like team up in a recording studio so it sounds like the Misfits are just busting into their rival songs which is like a baller thing to do.
1: I would say that it never feels more more like that like what you described than in episode 26 with uh we're up you're down uh Stormer writes all of the songs and I think a lot of the melodies for the misfit songs in the same way that Kimber uh is apparently the songwriter for the holograms Stormer is Mary Phillips and if you didn't think Stormer could get any more adorable her real name is Mary Stormer is adorable because she has internal conflict
0: She is the nice one. She is the one that thinks maybe they shouldn't throw Kimber into an active volcano. She puts on a disguise at one point in order to uh, safely keep Jim from going to jail.
1: It's an amazing disguise. How would we describe this disguise? It's like I'm picturing this thing as though the witch from Shira and Carmen San Diego had a baby.
0: She's the most sympathetic because, it, especially in the band's breakup, like she literally has a line about how the misfits only want to exploit her for her talents. Uh, but you get the feeling that there is. Something about her where she thinks that only the Misfits will accept her. And the Misfits very clearly like mistreat her. They're very mean to her. When you find out that Stormer writes the songs and you get that contrast between like, her very sweet nature, her very kind nature, uh, you know, that she's the one worrying about the kids, she's the one who becomes friends with Kimber. The contrast between that and the anger in the songs really like speaks to a level of internal conflict in a in a really cool way. It all combines to make her a uh, very interesting character that kind of holds up to a close reading
1: I think there's something about sort of the casual cruelty that absolute confidence that the misfits have that really appeals to her because it's not as though she's always hanging back when they're just being like jerks or casually insulting someone as they leave I don't think it's her entirely like saying that just because she wants to be accepted I think that kind of confidence it's something that Stormer lacks and something that she loves pretending that she has
0: she is the, the nice, sweet girl who cares about children, but also paints lightning bolts on her face.
1: Star is the best. So, we have all of that interesting stuff to save up to Zazz and Stormer, and then there's Roxy. Well,
0: Roxy, Roxy's only going to get really interesting in season two.
1: Roxy actually goes by her name Roxy, doesn't she? Like, Roxy Pellegrini. But, like Chris was saying, she does get some stuff in season two. In season one, all she
2: does is say things like, Yeah, cool. And occasionally she says something that can be followed by, Let's kill the holograms.
0: Her kind of defining characteristic that's going to come up in the second season is that she's illiterate, which is also true in the comics. Uh, I, I, started watching it on tv and uh the roxy rumble was one of the first episodes i saw where i was like oh okay i love this show now because this show is great because there is a great thing where you see roxy's gang that she was in which are the red aces and the red aces are great for two reasons one of them is that they are all illiterate because they dropped out of high school which as betty felon said when we were talking about it you know high school when you learn to read the other thing is that they're a gang called the red aces and their shirts are say, red aces, like the words
1: but they're illiterate. How yeah,
0: that is a concept that can be represented with iconography. The other thing that I love is that a season before the Roxy Rumble, when they go to China and the banner says, Welcome, Miss Fats, Roxy's the one who gets really excited about the sign because she recognizes the letters, but doesn't realize it's misspelled. A season before they do the episode where they talk about her being illiterate, where the concept is introduced with Stormer going, Roxy, aren't you going to tell them you don't know how to read?
1: That's, like, one of the first lines in that episode.
0: It seems like something that might be accidental, but I like that it is retrospectively set up.
1: By the way, while we're here, we forgot to talk about the instruments that the misfits play.
0: It's the classic punk band setup.
1: It is guitar, 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 and sometimes guitar, guitar, guitar. Well, you
0: know, at least at least
1: when they get a new member, that's
0: got to be their drummer, right?
1: <laughs> guitar, 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 saxophone. There are instruments that, that just don't that just don't exist in Misfits songs, and none of them have any straps for their instruments, like in the show at all. To the point where Stormer has to like wedge her guitar up into her armpit. That's our primary band of the Misfits. Both the holograms and the Misfits will actually get another bandmate in season two, so look forward to that.
0: Jetta, not so much. But there is this kind of thing with the Misfits where it does kind of seem like Pizzazz is looking out for them. Stormer obviously has no confidence. She's creative, but she won't strike out on her own. Pizzazz gives her an outlet for that. And it's, you know, it's a very controlling and not at all even relationship between them. But you know, Pizzazz is kind of there for her with the reveal that Roxy can't read or manage her finances. She gets a winning lottery ticket and doesn't realize it. The idea that rich Phyllis Gabor is kind of at least looking out for her friends in that way makes the Misfits a lot better. Oh man, how much time do we have to talk about Tech Rat? I guess we should show it Eric first.
1: Let's start with Eric. Eric Raymond is the manager of the Misfits and the owner of Misfits Music. And he also has, like, a whole network of thugs on, like, LinkedIn or something. He just has random guys that he hires for vandalism purposes. Usually vandalism. Sometimes murder.
0: Eric is an 80s scumbag. Eric is one accent away from being Hans Gruber.
1: If you don't know what Eric Raymond looks like, in your head picture the phrase 80s businessman and the person you are picturing in your head is exactly what Eric Raymond looks like. And now you need to
2: add little horns in his hair.
1: Sometimes the animators would give his, like, weirdly textured curly hair, little devil horns.
2: Eric Raymond is at times poor and rich enough he owns a yacht. He tries
1: to be like really forward, really in charge of things, but also he gets pushed around by pizzazz constantly.
2: He's uh, possibly
1: a time lord. His office just keeps transporting all over the world, possibly.
0: He's involved with the mafia, the actual mafia.
1: Headquartered in Indianapolis, Indiana. And he really loves modern art. Like, he's a huge nerd for modern
2: art. Huge nerd.
1: Eric Raymond is. He's such this perfect blend of competent and completely incompetent that there is something so charming about this scumbag. It's a roller coaster ride, being Eric Raymond. He's like a little ball at a pinball machine, rocketing from success to failure and back again.
2: Zipper is a guy, when you tell him, go slow those guys down, his idea is immediately, well, if I kill them, they're technically stopped, so that's slowing them down right? Zipper
1: burned down a house full of orphans mind you.
2: Uh, he sticks a bomb into a couch in a house full of orphans.
1: He's tried to stop the holograms from recording a music video by pushing a gargoyle onto them from the top of a building to try and crush them. He took Kimber into a volcano when Pizazz wanted to win a swimming competition instead of Kimber. He also has a mechanical shark An autonomous mechanical shark. And his jacket has his name on the back. The better with which to commit crimes. Zipper's incredible. Zipper is now in Hawaii jail and he will be there until the day he dies. Zipper is also voiced by Eric Raymond. You have to imagine him talking to himself. With the Zipper voice, yeah!
0: Zipper is the only character in the show who ever faces legal action. He's, he's not a good guy.
1: There is no, there's no question of morality with Zipper.
0: That is the show explaining why you never see Eric Raymond go to jail. It's like, no, no, no. You have to be this extreme a criminal for the police to step in in this world.
1: It's amazing what lawyers can do if you pay them enough. The producers did not like Zipper at all. So they requested Christy Marks not put him in any more episodes. She said, fine, I'll do you one better. She made Techrat. Replacing
0: Zipper with Techrat in a show full of weird decisions. That's the weirdest. I love Techrat! I could talk for an hour about Techrat. He's so weird, even for this show. Tech Rat is the only character on the show who did not need a redesign.
1: They just took Tech Rat and they made him more Tech Rat. Tech
2: Rat's not a weirdo. Tech Rat's a genius.
1: Tech Rat is very clearly based off of Boy George in appearance. Christy Marks originally wanted to pitch Tech Rat as being a character where you could not tell whether they were male or female. And uh, the voice they went with was something that Christy Marx hated, but is actually the best voice. It's like an Igor voice from a really bad Frankenstein movie tech rat supplies the show and thereby the misfits with all of the ridiculous things that we think are commonplace now except for maybe laser guns mounted on hang gliders and he invents them tech rat invents a time machine in season two
0: tech rat invents a time machine that obeys the law of conservation of mass
1: tech rat invented wikipedia before wikipedia tech rat invented live streaming television tech rat also invented some sort of like exploding piggy bank tech
0: rat shouldn't feel as out of place as he does on a show with synergy but like he does (laughs) synergy is at least acceptable because it's this weird one-of-a-kind piece of technology right and then tech rat shows up and he's like
2: i built a time machine eric
1: tech rat seems like a ninja turtles antagonist he seems like he should be working for crying he would fit so well in the ninja turtles universe but instead, he's here. Techrat never thinks about selling any of his inventions to the government.
0: Well, oh, Techrat's never going to sell his inventions to the government. Techrat has some opinions. Techrat is worried about fluoride in the drinking water. Techrat is worried about Majestic Twelve and has visited the, the studio where they filmed the moon landing. Techrat doesn't vote.
1: Techrat voted for Vermin Supreme.
0: That Techrat is on this show and not GI Joe is the weirdest thing about the Hasbro extended universe.
1: Okay, Clash, Constance Montgomery, Video's cousin. Clash wants to be a misfit real bad.
2: She's got these tiny little finger symbols that somehow make the same noise as giant symbols do.
1: And it's also worth noting that Clash wants to be a misfit so badly and they're like, you'll never be a misfit, Clash, whenever it comes up. But Ashley got to be a misfit like that. The orphan got to be a misfit before Clash did. You just got to be 12 years old and try and break into a bar. That's that's how you become a misfit. If you con $30 out of them, you're in.
0: Clash ends up being... Next to Stormer, the most sympathetic of the bad characters, she's so miserable because she like goes undercover with the holograms and the holograms treat her so nicely.
1: It is a hard life for Clash. She idolizes just terrible people. She's also a master of disguise for no good reason. Oh, Daddy Gaborbucks. Uh, he's Pizzazz's dad. His name is not actually Daddy Gabor Bucks, but we can never remember his real name. He's something Gabor.
0: Harvey Gabor.
2: Harvey Gabor, but he is forever Daddy Gabor Bucks to us. His
1: only job in the plot is to be the guy that Pizzazz goes to when she wants money to do whatever ridiculous thing the Misfits want to do this episode, and or to get mad at Pizzazz when that thing falls through and he loses a bunch of money. Uh, it's always millions millions! He sounds a little like Walter Cronkite.
0: He's in the business industry.
1: He owns the business factory. I think
0: the key thing about Harvey Gabor is that he clearly does not care about pizzazz.
1: There is an episode in season two that will actually give him more of an arc.
0: It makes Pizzazz the, the poor little rich girl, but it also explains a lot of why she is so loud and demands attention and, like, is so bossy to Eric. And also why she is kind of taking care of stormer and roxy and even you know why she treats them the way she does because she has no concept of affection it draws a parallel between her and jerica in an interesting way because they both don't have moms and emmett's dead and harvey might as well be dead pizzazz would have as much with him dead emmett benton is dead and missed Harvey Gabor is alive, but cold. Again, I think it's a really interesting layer to her character, which again, makes the Misfits way more interesting than the holograms. They are the Misfits. Their arcs are better.
1: So let's see. I believe we've covered just about all the important characters in Season 1. So why don't we talk about any notable episodes? We've, we've highlighted some of them. A lot of them are from Season 2 that we have talked about because, you guys, Season 2 is gonna be incredible. Why don't we talk about any arcs or any episodes that we think absolutely can't be missed in Season
0: Intrigue at the Indy 500.
2: Hatam in Hawaii, just because of the complete chaos that happens in that episode. And Glitter and Gold's kind of super important. It brings everything back together.
1: Not just because of the potted plant, but because the intro has like Jerrica actually being
2: like... Jerrica. And then plus it also kind of brings in Kimber's character. I
0: think if you want the weirdness of the show, Broadway magic is one of the most, like, bizarre episodes in concept and execution, and also features decomposed from the Inhumanoids in a cameo role.
1: If you can swallow some, like, 1980s opinions on Asian people, I would recommend Adventures in China. There are people who seem to think that plastic must be from the Ming Dynasty. I have a weird soft spot for last resorts, just because the bear is blocking Synergy's hologram projections. Season one is pretty great, but season two, I think, Kid hasn't seen it yet, but I think the rest of us can agree, season two is where the show really hits its stride. There are less illegal misfit things, as Chris was saying, but wow, they just they just turn that thing up to 11.
2: So future episodes that you kind of have to look forward to are uh, One Gym Too Many, where basically there's a gym causing chaos. Is it really Jim? There's a restaurant destroyed in it.
1: I'm a particular fan of The Fan, where uh, the Misfits build an entire replica of Starlight Mansion and actors to play every person in Jericho's life, and Jem starts to lose her grasp on sanity because she's not sure if she's actually Jem or not.
2: In season three, so far in the future, we have The Day the Music Died, where Jem is thought dead, and in the span of two hours, the whole world breaks down.
0: The best part of that episode is they interrupt the theme song. The film is pulled off and Kimber's like, hey, we're not doing this today. Jim's dead. And it's like, what?
1: what? We have an episode where they go to Washington, D.C., where there's an actual supervillain.
2: Who kidnaps the president. Midsummer's Night's Madness, where Jim and Jerrica develop a third personality to romance Rio. Uh,
0: season two also has Roxy Rumbles. Oh yes, the literacy episode. Which is amazing. Season two also has Music is Magic, which is the one that is notable because it was written by Paul Dini, co-creator of Batman the Animated Series, a dude who has always been super into Zatanna, and Jem and all of the holograms dress in basically Zatanna cosplay.
1: It's also notable for being one of two different magician episodes. Trick or Tech Rat
2: is also in season two. Uh, Season two also has our very special drug episode.
1: Have we just listed most of season two at this point? I love this dumb show. It's the best. It is
0: my second favorite of the the Hasbro shows. G.I. Joe being the first.
1: So that's our primer. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you
0: so much for having me on the show. I really enjoy the show. Uh, Thanks for taking the movie hit.
1: Two weeks they took it out of theaters.
0: Uh, I obviously love talking about Gem whenever I can. It's a favorite of mine. Thank you so much.
1: Now, you guys may notice that Chris doesn't usually podcast with us. Uh, so everybody, you know where to find us generally. But if they want to listen to you talk about more stuff, Chris, where can you be found?
0: You can find links to everything I do at about.me slash chrissims, which is C-H-R-I-S-S-I-M-S. For anybody who doesn't know, I'm the senior writer at comicsalliance.com, uh, where I occasionally write about the Gem comic and have in the past written about the Gem cartoon. I also write comics. I was one of the two writers, uh, the co-writers of X-Men 92 for Marvel, which is all out. Uh, And there are a couple of other comics that I have published by myself. There's one that's a kind of goofy tokusatsu comic called Radical Guardian Skater X. What if Common Rider had a skateboard instead of a dirt bike? There's a comic called Dracula the Unconquered that uh, is finally coming back. Our last issue was in 2012 and we're finally doing number three. But yeah, in the meantime I'm at uh, at Comics Alliance every day and uh, X-Men 92 is out Now and coming back in February, March. Also, I am the co host of a podcast called War Rocket Ajax, which is a weekly comics podcast where we do interviews and we also talk about things relating to comics. We review comics every week. I also do a podcast with Jordan D. White, uh, who is the editor of X Men 92 and also the Deadpool and Star Wars books at Marvel, that Annie has been on, and it's called Sailor Business. It is an episode-by-episode episode, uh, recap podcast for Sailor Moon, the nineteen ninety two anime. Uh, we are into season two. We're into Sailor Moon R. So if you like what you hear me say on this show, and presumably you like Annie, then uh, definitely go check out her appearances on Sailor Business at SailorBusiness.com.
1: Sailor Business is super fun and sort of indirectly inspired us to actually start doing gem Jams. So you have Sailor Business to thank for that. And also you can hear Annie swear at a cat. I swear at talking cat. The gem Jam usually comes out every Sunday on iTunes, cloud stitcher and youtube we are also on twitter and tumblr you can find us at the gem jam just about everywhere except twitter where we are at gem jam cast we are also a patreon supported podcast if you like what we do and you want to give us a couple bucks that's totally cool if not spreading the word is also spectacular you're outrageous no matter what until next time i'm annie i'm kit and i'm Mac. and this has been the gem jam we remind you don't judge a book by its outrageousness